Chariot Solutions Developer News, number 98. My God, we're getting to the close for May 4th, 2015. I'm Ken Rimple. I'm Joel Confino. And just remind you, my contract runs out at 100. <laughs> so, so. You need to run screaming after that, my friend. We'll find another sucker. I mean, another person. Um, so, yes, so we are getting close to 100. And when we hit 100, we've got to do something special. Absolutely. I don't know what that is. A parade. Yeah, I'm going to read Dianetics. I think it's what <laughs> I do. And I'm going to throw it away right afterwards. Um, why don't we go with your article first? Because I'm still pulling my articles up. <laughs> sure. So uh, really interesting in the news, a company called Sorelity, I believe, scooped Twitter's earnings. And so they did this with machine learning, which we'll talk about because then they published an article on how they did it. So basically what happened was um, most companies' earnings come out after the market closes just by convention. Yep. Uh, and Twitter actually had poor earnings and they came out an hour before the market closed, which tanked their stock. <laughs> so so it's a big deal. Oops. And you know, and basically what happened was this company that produces data called Sorelity for investors to buy uh, published on their Twitter feed about an hour before um, the markets were closed, Twitter's earnings results. And so the question was, how did this happen, you know, and how did this company scoop it? And it was a big deal. So yeah, it's a quiet period and everything. Like you can't do that. Um, you're, no, you're allowed, they said, but there's convention is that you don't. Oh, okay. Um, but it's not actually against the rules. I see. Um, but then there was all kinds of question of how did this happen? And so this company, Sorelity, went into some detail about what happened. And it was kind of a boon for them because they sell fa- they sell data feeds and, <laughs> they, and they found this. So for one thing, they said it was definitely not a hack. You know, there was this was Twitter hacked. Well, no, there's an investor website that actually, I believe in this case, uh, well, third party, I think it was NASDAQ actually, is responsible for maintaining. And they goofed for a very short period of time. They published the results too early. And this screen scraper found it and sucked it down. But it didn't like guess some random number. Because interestingly enough, if they had just... Like, for instance, even if it's a public website, if they had just guessed random characters, they could actually technically potentially be in trouble for hacking, which I think is insane. Oh, but, God. But they weren't because <laughs> because if it was something that only a machine could find. But this was something any human who happened to hit the page at that second would have seen. So they downloaded the data with a screen scraper. But the interesting part that the CTO in this article that's on Ars Technica, Andrew Brook, uh, he talks about really the cool technology that they have is not just the screen scraping. He said their screen scraper runs on commodity hardware. Anybody could run a similar kind of setup on Amazon for $100 a month. It's not a big deal. Right. So collecting it wasn't the big deal. Polling wasn't the big deal. The big deal was that they were able to use machine learning and their algorithms to automatically extract important parts of this this actual update and immediately post it to Twitter. So that's what these guys have down. And he describes a little bit how they do it, which is really cool because these financial reports, which there's a link to in the article, which we'll have in the show notes, are not particularly easy to read. Uh, and they're certainly not easy to parse. Right. And it's a PDF. And they talked about some of the ways that they do it. Um, one of the ways that they, they do it is it's sort of a combination of things. But one of the phrases, for instance, that they have to parse, and I'll try to read this, they have as an example is, and I quote, Q1 revenue of 436 million, comma, up 74% year over year, comma, slightly below the previously forecast range of 440 million to 450 million. What, 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 can we go back to the word million? Yeah. What, okay. So in that statement, there's a couple millions, right? There's <laughs> uh, 436 yeah. and then there's 440 and 450. So the algorithm has to know 
that the you know natural language processing has to be able to deconstruct that sentence and know which of those is really the revenue and which of those is essentially a commentary on the range. And they said one of the ways they do it is natural language processing, parts of speech, pulling that out. But the other way is they have a series of phrases that people, their experts, have put into this system so that they know to look for these patterns. So apparently this type of phrase with a, with a revenue and a period and a range is very common. And so part of the way they attack this is domain specific. They right. said a general like natural language processor would choke on this. They wouldn't know which of these was the important one. So they have, you know, screen scraper, they have natural language processing to find the sentence structures, and then they have their experts putting in specific phrases that are common. Training it. Yeah, training it. And then the combination of that, which some other secret sauce, which I'm sure he's not telling us, <laughs> you know, will will um I know what it is. <laughs> You know what it is? No. They get a little tiny businessman with a bowler hat, and they shrink him down like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, yeah. and they put him on a piece, piece of silicon, and then he's got a little bowler tie, and he's, he's got like a little tap cane and stuff, and he's like, hello, my baby, hello, my honey, and he says, rich. Yeah. And that's it. That's the algorithm. My money's on Mechanical Turk. But, <laughs> but, but, you may be right. Hundreds of people sitting at home. but um, <laughs> Making a dollar a year. Anyway, but it's very interesting that because then they take that data that they found and they auto post onto Twitter and onto their data feeds. Right. So they're so confident in their very uh, good algorithms that people might actually, you know, essentially execute trades based on that data. So it's, it's wow. a really interesting conversion of scraping the data in analyzing it and then trusting your algorithms results so well, so much that they can uh, then then auto public to Twitter. So it's like twitchy big data. Right, right. Yeah, so. This is a hallmark of where we're going as a com uh, as a country in yeah. the next decade. Is Machines will make the decisions for us. That's right, yeah. Because yeah. we're, too, we're too dumb now to go to the rental store. We have to go look at our Netflix screens and like flick and pick. <laughs> yeah. And now it's going to be, no, you decided to watch this. Yeah. And it's going to be, I don't really want to watch, you know, Ishtar 12 times in a row. <laughs> But apparently, because I watched it before, it adds one. Yeah. We're never going to stop watching Ishtar. By the way, funny movie. Yeah. Um, that's funny. All right. That's a good one. Um, I'm going to go um, completely base and negative and weird um, <laughs> because this one just cracked me up. Actually, one of our guys this morning came up to me and said, did you see Carly Fiorina's new website? <laughs> so she's going to run for Congress. Uh, I'm sorry, for president. I'm sorry. Uh, she's running for president and she's announcing it. I guess uh, she only announced it today. And uh, she didn't realize that before you announce the run for president, you might want to register your domain name. <laughs> so if you go to carlyfiorina.org before she sues the person into oblivion for owning a domain name she should have had, quote unquote, it has 30,000 sad faces. And if you scroll to the very bottom of 30,000 sad faces, basically it's at the top, it says Carly Fiorina failed to register this domain. So I'm using it to tell you how many people she laid off at Hewlett Packard. It was this many. 30,000 smiley faces. Frowny faces. Frowny faces, not smiling. Uh, and at the very end, it says that's 30,000 people she laid off, people with families. And what did she say she would have done differently? And the quote was, I would have done them all faster. And this is why I'm trying to get, desperately trying to get joelconfino.org. Yeah, you better hurry that up. Yeah. Yes. I have Rimple.com. The whole world of Rimples, which is like 12 of us, I think. <laughs> Some, wow. some yeah. in Pennsylvania, some got, in India, some in Germany. She got the main name bombed, and uh, it's uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, that's what happens to you if you don't think about the web before you go apply for being a president. So we should <laughs> look for some other really funny ones and see what's out there. So, oops. Yeah, exactly. All right, let me throw you another one that's a little more useful, though. Um, so AngularJS, gee, I've never talked about that topic before. But um, since since the last time I've spoken to you, 
uh, about this because it's been a while. I went to the um, the NG Conf in Salt Lake City, Utah, which I absolutely oh, loved. Oh, yeah. How was that? Oh, uh, it was rocking good. Um, literally, because there's rocks that go right to the edge. It's this <laughs> giant mountain range. And in the middle of it, there's this little valley, and it's called Salt Lake. Beautiful. The conference was good, too. <laughs> um, I won a camera there. Wow. A rocking good camera, too. It was a Sony Alpha 6000 SLR. Nice. Everyone else is getting, like, RC video, uh, RC copters and stuff. And some people are getting other things. And I'm like, wow, this is really great. They said one out of every five people wins something. Because, you know, Google sponsors it. Microsoft wow. sponsors it. And they said, Ken Rimple camera my camera you know you're expecting like 128 gigabyte hard uh thumb drive right or i'm thinking like here's a little snapshot camera they come out with a real slr i'm like oh my god so so the conference was well run well organized i'm not saying because i want a camera it's it was very well done um it was one track all the way through which i thought was cool because there's a lot that they had to get out on the table about where they're heading as a framework now the the so there's just one room and the speakers get up one right after that's right that's right and but they had good talks overall for the two days they started out with a, here's what we're doing. You know, um, we're completely revamping the framework. We're building it from the bottom up for performance. And everyone grumbles because we're like, oh God, a, a, a rewrite. Yeah. You know, everyone's afraid of the rewrite. Yes. Um, the day before the conference started, they had a bunch of birds at the feather talks, which were great because we were all grumbling about the rewrite <laughs> and talking about different things. And it was really nice to meet other Angular developers and people that were working with it. Um, and everyone had the same question I did, which was like, what are they going to do with this thing? How are they going to yes. make it so that we can get through and migrate to the next version. And so what they're doing is they're actually setting up a separate website, angular.io. All the new development, all the new APIs that aren't part of the 1.x track are going to angular.io. They're going to track the downloads of angularjs.org versus that, and they're going to always keep 1.x around for as long as people want it Hmm. and are downloading it. So they're committed to keeping 1.x alive and having an entire development team dedicated to 1.x and a smaller development team, I think, dedicated to 2.0. The other thing they're doing is for 2.0, they're developing it in JavaScript with TypeScript on top of it. Um, Long term, that's what they're doing. So TypeScript, which is a Microsoft kind of typed scripting language for Java, script, sorry. Um, You can, for example, say that a variable is of type number, Mm -hmm. and it will build type checking into it when it compiles it down to ECMAScript 5, which is what we all run today. Mm -hmm. But they're actually using this TypeScript language with some extensions to it, which are annotations. And they're generating ECMAScript 5 as well as pure ECMAScript 6 and Dart. Hmm. So they used to have a separate product called Angular Dart. Mm-hmm. Now they're generating the Angular Dart library. Wow. So it's one code base for all of it. Now that's really interesting. So you, you code in TypeScript. Well, you can code whatever you want. The idea is they're coding in TypeScript. You could decide to write your code typed with TypeScript, or you can write your code in ECMAScript 5. So the article I'm talking about... Oh, okay. So you can. You don't have to use TypeScript if nope. you don't want to. Nope. Interesting. So if you go to angular.io... Because I think that was one of the concerns when I heard, oh, man, I have to use TypeScript. I don't know. Right, right. You don't have to use TypeScript. So what they did was they made it easier for their development team to catch errors in typing. Well, that's great if they give you that level of flexibility. They do. And so if you go to the angular.io site, um, there is a, a five-minute tutorial, or, or there's a tutorial on there it says learn in five minutes which you can click on that but under docs Mm -hmm. which is a menu at the top you can go to docs and you can go to to step-by-step guide Mm -hmm. and it's very interesting they've got a step-by-step guide and if you click on the drop down there's the javascript api for angular 2 and there's a dart api wow if you pick yeah so if you pick the javascript api then you get this little tutorial you can click on get it getting started Um, you'll notice also that the code that they're showing there there's an ES5 tab and a TypeScript tab. Hmm. So you can see the difference when you're using ES5, which is standard JavaScript, or TypeScript, 
And then as you scroll down a little bit, you can see how you do the same things in TypeScript or the annotations for things like at component and at view. That's and this really is, nice. Yeah, yeah, this is where, by the way, this is where Yehuda Katz worked with them with the team for ECMAScript, the language team. They actually proposed for ES5 this concept of annotations. And so if you look at the ES5 version of the components, they have this app component object and there's a property called annotations. Mm -hmm. And when you add an annotations property, it's the same as using the annotations themselves in TypeScript. Hmm. So that's the way you do it in a non-TypeScript version, simple, standard, plain, JavaScript 1.5. Mm -hmm. So Angular 2 will work in 1.5, it'll work in TypeScript, and it'll work in Dart. And that's why they got rid of JS from the end of Angular, because it's basically Angular is the framework, and we can target different language bindings. That's actually really cool. Yeah, it's pretty neat. So um, anyway, uh, it's worth looking at. You know, take a look at where Angular is headed. It's definitely still early. I still think they've got, you know, five to eight months before you're really going to have any viable product out of them. Because what they told us at the conference was May was their first date of porting a internal Google app that's being used by Google. It's a significant size. They're going to be their first client, their first coded client. Then they're going to go back with what they've learned, adjust the APIs a bit more, and then go for final beta and wow. final production. So they're really taking their time, which is good. Yeah. I think if they take their time and they work on a good migration guide that makes sense out of that, then I think that'll be a really viable thing for Angular 2. But the message is Angular 1 developers keep using Angular 1 for now mm -hmm. because they're still migrating it forward. The other thing is Angular's router, the new router, they call it Angular New Router, it's not ready yet. There, mm -hmm. there was a presentation for it at uh, ng-conf, and unfortunately... I think what they sold it to be in terms of timeline was not where it really was. It's still too early. Mm -hmm. um, that's just my opinion from trying to use it for a presentation after mm -hmm. uh, ng-conf and finding out that most of the features aren't there yet. Hmm. But what they're going to do is they're going to make it so that the Angular new router will work in both Angular 1 and Angular 2 and that you can migrate components over from Angular 1 to Angular 2 by moving them to the new Angular API and replacing the route and the router to the new Angular. So you can either run Angular 2 with Angular 1 routes in it or Angular 1 with Angular 2 routes in it or just separately move a big bang approach. Mm -hmm. And that's their goal. Hmm. But until that's ready, keep using the Angular current router or the UI router from the Angular UI team. Mm -hmm. Wait for them to have that be ready too. It's not quite ready yet. Interesting. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like they're not going to do what people feared, which is like pull the rug out from under you quickly. No. They just didn't do a super job of explaining that in the beginning. The story was not well told in yeah. November. Yeah. And yeah. even in this story, it was much better told. And, you know, they, from what I understand, if you were there in NGConf Europe, it translated well for those developers mm -hmm. because they were able to talk to Mishko and, and talk to the guys there and get a better feel. But for us out here in the field... It caused insane panic. It yeah. caused insane panic mode. And I think that... The new conference did a pretty good job of telling the story. Mm -hmm. I'm waiting for the components to get there on the ground. And this is the first step that I see where they're really saying, hey, look, this is what it's going to look like for the everyday developer. Mm -hmm. Before it was, here's what it's going to look like in ECMAScript uh, 6. Right. And you got to figure the tool chain out. Yeah. That's now it's like, you know, download the ES5 version of the snapshot and start playing. Yeah. They even give you plunkers for ES5 and ES6, I believe of Angular 2. So you can play right away in a plunker tool, which is great. Plunkers like that web-based runner tool. Got it. So you can hack with it right away. So they're, they're definitely working on trying to get the word out. I think where it's going to take time is the Angular 1 APIs, and there's like 10 different major, maybe 12 major 
APIs like Angular Animate and Angular Route and Angular Resource and all the major libraries that hook into it. Mm-hmm. I want to see feature parity. Yeah. Where are they in Angular 2? And I right. don't see that yet. Right. And when they start saying for migration, if you used ng resource, here's where the API yes. is now. Yes. They've got to do that. Interesting. If yeah. they're going to go through a whole lot of internal stuff before they show it to everybody, it makes me think like they're going to be a little more careful about the APIs. I know? think they have to be. Yeah. They've got a really good story for where they are now. Angular 1 has a really good story for going forward. They have a whole team devoted to it. Mm-hmm. And now it's up to them to sell you on Angular 2 to move to Angular 2. Yeah. That's where the job needs to Interesting. be. Interesting. Yeah. But I would say stay the course with Angular 1 for now because they're if everyone stays with Angular 1 until Angular 2 is ready, they're not turning it off. They will not get rid of it. Yeah. They just should have probably said before, like, Angular 2 is for 2016. So right. So just so you know, yeah. we're still going to innovate and we're just telling you, like, this really future parallel path. Yep. Rather than kind of like freak everybody out. And is wicked fast. Because I mean, nobody wants to build for the old stuff. That's yeah, the thing. Right. That's why you don't tell people about the new one. That's why they don't promote new cars while the old ones are still there. Right, right. Because nobody really wants like, oh boy, I get to do the old one. It's, yeah. as, it's as much, and I keep telling people this, when you look at where Angular 2 is headed, it's the same as Java 1.4 to Java 5. Do you remember that big switch mm-hmm. where everyone said, wow, annotations, everything's got to go annotations. And everyone stopped and said, what's the annotation library for Hibernate? We got to use that. Mm-hmm. How's Spring going to do annotations? We got to use that. You know, the new collections API, got to use that. JavaScript 1.6, ECMAScript 6, is as rap- radical a change to JavaScript as Java 1.4 to Java 5 was. Hmm. It is something to take notice of. The Ember team is taking notice of it, and they are going to ES6 for their stuff mm-hmm. long-term and, and transpiling from what I understand. You know, everyone's going to be doing this now. And so I think this is just the first framework to bump up against it. They were the mm-hmm. first ones. They made they hit the most pain because there was no good way to communicate what they were trying to do back then. Hmm. So that's where that's going. I just, that's definitely something to pay attention to. I would not say to anyone right now, quit Angular because it's going off in a weird direction. Yeah. It's more stay the course, mm-hmm. watch where they're going, and judiciously choose what your next move is. Mm-hmm. That's That's my take on it. All right, so maybe the next one's will be shorter. Um, yeah. Visual Studio Code. Yeah, so so you, uh, so Ken, I'm I'm sure you're getting ready to bust out Microsoft Visual Studio, right? You know, hell no. Because, <laughs> so, actually, so, no. I have to tell you, I do Node on my Windows laptop. Yeah. I needed to install Visual Studio so it would build the libraries when it went and build native libraries. Yeah. It needed Visual Studio Make. Well, interestingly enough, Microsoft is releasing Visual Studio for free, and they have a new thing called that runs on Mac and Linux. No joke. I downloaded it to my Mac today just yeah. to make sure this wasn't a total lie. .NET, right? Called Microsoft Visual Studio Code. Now, so right. what is Visual Studio Code, and why does it exist? Well, I think this is like Microsoft's entrance into we're going to start to play nice with other operating systems and other things. Thank God. Really interesting. So this is actually built on... Um, GitHub's library, they have a product called Atom. And yeah, Atom's Adam, actually, editor, right? And that Atom editor is actually based on a framework that GitHub made that they built Atom on top of. So Atom's a product. The framework is Electron, of course. So, <laughs> so, so this is built on Electron, uh, on Electron, and it uses Chromium. So the, obviously the technical title was basically Microsoft Visual Studio built on Chrome, right? <laughs> <laughs> which it is actually. But Visual Studio Code is just a code editor, right? And it, so I tried it out. It you know it has highlighting, it has code completion. Supposedly it has oh, some intelligence. Okay. Yeah, and actually in JavaScript, um, like it'll code complete a local variable. Like it's aware Listen, of that. If, if, and it, it runs Node. It's designed for like Node. I will bet you that it has TypeScript embedded in it. I'll oh, yeah, bet it, it does. does. It has a bunch of languages, yeah, actually. Because, and when it gets to TypeScript 1.5, it'll have all the annotations for Angular 2. 
Interesting. That's something to think about. The other thing, it does debugging. So their thing, they say, hey, if you want just a code editor and not a full IDE, most code editors don't have any kind of debugging. So this is lightweight code editor plus debugging for like your node apps. Oh. And, you know, I tried it out. I can't say like, you know, it was editing code. I can't say like it was like, <laughs> you know, I use RubyMine right now, which yeah. is basically I use Web IntelliJ. Yeah, which Web is IntelliJ. IntelliJ, IntelliJ is nice. You know, yeah. IntelliJ has a lot of good, really nice IDE. So it... It's Microsoft's foray out of the gate. You know, you download it for Mac, Linux, or Windows. It runs on Chrome. This is a new and different Microsoft. I interesting like where they they're even, going. Interesting that they even would attempt to do this, or why would they do this? Well, you know? so so in a similar vein, um, on my Surface Pro 3, I had tried to load, and I had a bad experience. I had a bad experience with this. <laughs> and I think it was because I played with Hyper-V, which is their virtual machine editor, and borked my computer. But... Um, <laughs> They have this with Windows 10 beta. Everything was fine to put your hands on the Hyper-V. Don't touch the Hyper-V. I've actually used it now enough to know that I'm not using it for most things. Because um, it's just really heavyweight and takes over. I mean, it probably is nice and fast, but I'm like, nah, I don't need another virtual machine. Yeah. I already have VirtualBox or VMware. Let's pick one. You yeah. know? But anyway, as I'm playing with Vagrant and stuff, mm -hmm. that's what I've been spending my time on playing with Vagrant and having a development box that I could set up both on Windows and on my Mac that basically is a Linux box. And... Using VirtualBox, it works great. Mm -hmm. If you use Hyper-V, you're screwed because there's no Hyper-V for Mac. Oh, okay. So that's where I am. Yeah. But anyway, um, so Windows 10 Preview, I've been playing with that, and there's like a slow ring and a fast ring of betas. Mm -hmm. So the idea is if you're in the slow ring, you'll get a little more stable experience. Mm -hmm. But if you're crazy like I was for a couple of weeks, you go on the fast ring, mm -hmm. and the fast ring broke my computer. <laughs> but the point being, they are willing to put betas out there that break things yeah. just to try getting stuff up there. Yeah, It's not perfect. It's a little more rough around the edges, Microsoft. But what I like is they're trying things. Yeah, it is. I dig that. And they say like Visual Studio, the next real Visual Studio beta is free. You can download it. So That's fantastic. I don't know if the paid one, I don't know if when it comes out for real, but uh, it'll, you'll pay. But I'm sure. But very interesting. There is a free version of the web version. That's what I'm using. Okay. There is a free Microsoft Visual Studio for Visual Studio Web is what it's called. Got it. Well, this sounds like this is similar in the code thing. It's just in a browser instead. It knows about Node and things like that. Right. So that's that's very kind of cool and interesting. And then the other thing is, I was on Product Hunt. Product Hunt is a good website. They have all kinds of products. Ooh. You can upvote them. It's it's very fun. It's like dig for products. It is. And it's got a lot of good stuff. And every day people upvote different products. And so there's a lot of cool stuff. All kinds of cool new stuff comes out. Product hunt. Yeah, okay. that's a really good one. But um, Google Prediction API got, was one of the ones that was upvoted quite a bit in April. I'm like, Google Prediction API. I used that years ago. So I wanted to just kind of revisit, you know, what was the deal with that. So, mm -hmm. and it looks like, you know, a couple things. One thing is that, well, so Google Prediction API is a REST API. It's a Google service. Mm-hmm. It now runs on their Google Cloud platform, which is fine. Back when it first came out, there was no Google platform. Right. It's just sort of a standalone thing. Yeah. So it has the same terms of service, and it's integrated with that. Right. Um, you can up it's basically for machine learning. So you can do prediction, which is called prediction API. Right. That could do things like spam filter. Um, you could do purchase predictions, uh, sentiment analysis, mm -hmm. these kind of things you can add to your app. And essentially, you don't have to write the algorithms. You use the REST API. So you upload a model which would be essentially a trained, so you're training it. It does supervised learning. In other words, you have to tell it the answer. So, you know, the label is spam, and then the you give it a spam message, and then right. you give it a good one, and then you say the label is ham, and here's the real message, so spam and ham. And I did a simple um, spam filter with that a couple of years ago, and it worked really well. Uh -huh. um, so interesting that Google Prediction API, for one, is around. It's out of beta. It's cheap. It's $10 a month. And then a very, very small amount for lots of predictions, you know, per prediction pricing per thousand. 
and you know has good terms of service like 99.9999 whatever uptime mm-hmm. kind of stuff so i think it's a you know it's feasible and it's interesting and it's out there it hasn't changed a ton since, since i last saw it and it works for specific things supervised learning not unsupervised learning but i think um you know as everybody's trying to add machine learning or prediction to things this is a nice alternative you got a low cost way to dip your toe in the water oh yeah and it's incredibly easy i mean you just it, they have client libraries and uh, rest api so uh interesting stuff so it's worth worth revisiting cool awesome all right. Well, I think that will do uh, Dev News 98. So um, that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call it that. Yeah. So again, the, the Dev News is sponsored by Chariot Solutions. We uh, make great software for our clients and we certainly are available for hire. So check us out at chariotsolutions.com. I do our training. So I'm going to do a plug for that, of course. So we're teaching in JavaScript, Spring, Java, Scala, uh, a few other things as well, Maven. Uh, you can check us out at chariotsolutions.com slash training and... Uh, sure. I'm the CEO of Hadel and Hadel's uh, Chariot's product wing. It's an enterprise Q&A product that helps you connect with experts. So think of a internal stack overflow for your company. Excellent. All right. So that's it. Check us out at chariotsolutions.com slash devnews, or you can get to us on iTunes as well as searching for Chariot Developer News. And for the Dev News, I'm Ken Rimple. I'm Joel Confino. Have a good whatever this is going to be next.